ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. היי, welcome back to another episode of Bad Jew, the place where there is no such thing as a bad Jew. With me today is Rabbi David Schlusselberg. David, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. I'm so happy that you are here as well. And, you know, I, I discovered a lot of your TikToks. You, you've done a really great job at, you know, really focusing on, I think when it comes to the three modes of communication, you have ethos, pathos, and logos. And I think that you really bring this emotional the pathos. You really bring that in a really nice way in your content. You guys, everyone, should, everyone listening should check out Rabbi David's, pod, Rabbi David's TikTok account. It's really, really amazing. But to properly introduce David, he has the right of entry onto the podcast, which is the four-minute Bad Jew Challenge, where David will tell his life story in four minutes. Are you ready? I'm ready. Excellent. Echad, shtayim, shalosh, yalla. So I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey. I basically lived there my whole life. I was raised modern Orthodox. Still am modern Orthodox, but some would say I'm less modern now than, than, than I was before. And I went to classic modern Orthodox schools for those from the Northeast. So I went to a school called Frisch for high school. After high school, it's more common for kids in the modern Orthodox area to go and learn in Israel. I went to Israel to a place called Rishi Yerushalayim. It's ironically in Beit Shemesh. It originally was in Yerushalayim. And I learned there for two years. That was a very transformative experience for me because up until that point in life, I have a brother who's five and a half years older than me. And I always looked up to him and I always thought whatever he did, that's what I would do. So I started playing golf because he'd play golf. I started playing guitar because he'd play guitar. And then he went into business and finance and I assumed that's what I would do myself. And then when I was 19 years old, in my year in Israel, I decided I don't care about business. I want to become a rabbi. But it was because of two things that happened. One, I was enjoying learning Torah. And the second thing is I was helping people. I was helping friends of mine with some issues that they were going with, that they were dealing with. And I realized I wanted to do that for a living. After that, I went to Yeshiva University and I did that for my undergrad. I have a bachelor's in psychology. I did a graduate school there. I have a master's degree in Jewish education. And then for the last 12 years or so, I've been working at the Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. Uh, I started off uh, teaching full-time, just five, five periods a day or so. And then I started something called religious guidance. Uh, which is basically, if you think about when someone goes to a guidance counselor, they discuss a lot of issues. This is specifically to discuss religious issues that kids have. Uh, it's something that's mandatory. So some kids have what to discuss and some kids, I help them figure out what they want to discuss. And, and then I also, I also do something called Israel guidance, where just as I spoke about how, when I went to Rishit after my years of high school, so that transformed my life. So I helped kids try to figure out whether they do want to take a gap year after high school. And if they do, where are the best programs for them to do that on? It happens to be tangentially last week, I was actually in Israel and I went to 11 schools to learn more about them, to have a more intimate knowledge so that I could help guide the students who I work with. I, I was on the side, on, on the side, I play, I love playing music. I recorded a few albums, certainly didn't make it in the music biz and that's totally fine, but it was certainly a fun and enjoyable experience. I was an assistant rabbi at a congregation for a little bit. And then now I moved and I'm not living in Teaneck anymore. I live in Fairlawn, New Jersey. It's about 10 minutes away from Teaneck and I have a wife and two kids. 
and just this past summer. So you mentioned the TikTok, but I actually focused more ironically on Instagram. There was a technical reason why I actually started the TikTok, yeah. but I started the Instagram page at the end of July. And I really, my goal was probably about 2000 followers at the end of the year one. And it's about just under six months and I have 4,000 followers. So thank God everything is going well. And I'm happy really just to share Torah. And there certainly are plenty of people that reach out to me, both on TikTok and Instagram. And for the listeners here, if you ever have any questions, certainly feel free to follow me on Instagram and or TikTok. And certainly feel free to reach out if you ever have any questions. So that's my life in under four minutes. Awesome. You use that time perfectly. 18 seconds remaining. Not a bad number, by the way. Hey, I, I, I was a great four minute intro. And I, I, I really like that, that journey talking about how you kind of veered off into your own independence, your own spiritual independence from the lifestyle of your brothers to yours. I think that's really empowering. I think that's really amazing. And I think speaking of empowering your lifestyle, that's actually a really great segue into the topic of today's episode. At the beginning of the year, people are setting goals, but how did you set goals? It's a great question. In a certain sense, we kind of set goals the same way everyone else sets goals. But I think because of our nature as a people and because of our relationship with Hashem and our relationship to the Torah, there's a different prism through which we understand goals and through which we're able to continue motivating ourselves to keep our goals. So just to give you an example, like Rotsado Kakoin of Lublin says that the Jewish people as a nation were founded after something called Yeish. Yeish means abandoning all hope, right? So sometimes, of course, a person gets to a place in life where they feel hopeless. They feel like they've hit rock bottom. There's nowhere they could, they could, there's no way to improve. And that's what happened to Avram, to Abraham and Sarah. And they were a very old couple. And really they figured they're just, they're just not going to have kids. And then all of a sudden, after that point of literal, of full despair is when they ended up having a child, having Yitzhak, having Isaac and the Jewish people were born. And so for the Jewish people, that really sets the, the tone for us. Because when it comes to setting goals, it's not just about the goal setting itself, but it's really about the achieving the goal. And so no one will ever set a goal. Let's, I'll just use a classic example of dieting. I won't, I won't use a religious example, but when it comes to dieting as a classic example, so no one's thinking, I'll say it this way. Everyone is thinking about what they want to look like, what they want to be. So they might have a number in mind. I want to lose 20 pounds. I want to lose 40 pounds. I want to fit in this size dress or this size outfit. And when you think about the future in mind, so that sometimes that's important empowering, that's exciting, but that's also very daunting. And so as Jewish people, because of the fact that as a, as a nation, we have overcome so many obstacles, we kind of have a certain grit within us to not give up and not lose hope. Yeah. You know, on, on that idea, my first thought is like, well, well, gee, we survived the pogroms. We survived the inquisition. We survived the crusades. We survived, we're still surviving the diaspora. We survived the Holocaust and we're surviving this current war and know that we're going to win. So what can't we accomplish? But at any point, does that kind of confidence ever backfire on our people? So there's the individual and the people as because you asked about the nation 
as a nation, so we know that Hashem's with us. We know that as much as we could be pushed down, we know that we're never going to be totally decimated. Of course, we could have very, very difficult challenges and big bumps in the road. But as individuals, when it comes to setting goals, certainly we could fail. And unfortunately, we, we have to all personally deal with failure at different times in life. Sometimes it's small failures and sometimes the failures are large. But person, when a person has what to rely on, what to lean on. So that's where a person is able to get out of it. I want to share, share like a very psychological insight into, into this idea that I think will, will help. I remember I was once driving with my rabbi, his name is Eli Marcus. And I asked him kind of, how are we supposed to view sin when we get beaten down by, by messing up and we have a sense of despair and we feel terrible and we feel like we're never going to get out of this. And he said the, he said the following to me, he said, before you sin, let's say a person is tempted to sin. You have to tell your data horror, your evil inclination. You have to tell it, I'm better than this. I don't need to succumb to this. And you have to push it down and say, this is so lowly. I don't need to, I don't need to do this. It says, but then if you sin, then the reaction that the Yetzirah wants, the reaction that the evil inclination wants you to have is I'm worthless. It's not even worth trying to pray to God. It's not even worth trying to do any mitzvot because God knows who I am. God knows what I did last night. He says the reaction we should have is I could do this. I could beat this. It's true. I failed yesterday, but I could beat this today. And I think when it comes to, when it comes to goal setting, when it comes to whether it's New Year's resolutions, Rosh Hashanah resolutions, whatever it may be, whatever time of year a person decides to set a goal, that's something that's so important because the reality is, I think that most people will at one point or another fail in their resolution. And the question is going to be, is the failure in your resolution going to be the end of it? Or is that going to be the first bump in the road? Because if a person decides, let's say I'll use that example of, they decide, I want to, I want to lose 20 pounds and they have a strict diet and they're doing great. And they have four weeks on their belt. And then all of a sudden they start buying Ben and Jerry's and they start like pigging out. And then they like broke up with their boyfriend and they're a little depressed and everything is going the wrong way. So they have two, they have a four, they're at a fork in the road and they could either say, you know, like I'm done. I failed. I'll try again next January, next Rosh Hashanah. Or they could say, you know, let me get up and pick myself up and do this. And, and that's the way you're going to be successful. Most people are not, are, most people are going to fail. And it, when it comes to goal setting, there's going to be hiccups. And if a person is able to recognize that just because I mess up one time or twice or three times, I have to be able to pick up and get better. So when someone's on a diet and someone just to continue with that analogy and someone, let's say loses two pounds the first week and then three pounds the next week and then two pounds a week after, and then you know what? They had a bad week and they gained a pound. So what is their reaction going to be? That is the litmus test right there. If a person could bounce back from that and to say, you know what, the I'm going to do even better and they'll lose another pound or two that will help them versus saying, I'm done, I'm out. And most people, unfortunately are in the letter camp. You know, 
I, I you, you sparked two different ideas in my head. And one of the ideas I can't even believe I'm going to share, but I'm going to be vulnerable and share that on the podcast in a second. First thing that you reminded me of is the difference between discipline and motivation. There, there's actually a, li- a, a life coach and a speaker who's been on this podcast. His name is Kevin High. And he came on and talked about, he talked about Shomer Nagy at the time. But I've heard him in person talking about the principle of what the difference is between motivation and discipline. And what he explained discipline is, is, well, let me start with motivation. Motivation is that burst of energy that you feel. I think according to the Talmud, correct me if I'm wrong, it's chokhmah, right? Is that correct? What, that, that Sounds correct. good. Yeah, right. Okay. Maybe, I'm, maybe I butchered that. But anyway, it's the burst of motivation. It's a very masculine experience when you have that burst of motivation to do something. But it's not, A, it's not always focused, and B, it's very temporary. And C, just because you're motivated doesn't mean you're going to act on it. It could be a waste of time. It could be a wasted emotion. It is a very emotional reaction. However, discipline is more long, is longer term when you begin with the end in mind. And when you decide that you are going to achieve this goal by any means necessary, no matter how you feel, that is the definition of dis- discipline. That was the first thing you might have but here's the, here's the second thing. I, again, I can't believe I, I can't believe I'm going to say this and I'm not going to use names, but I failed recently yesterday and it kept me up all night because I failed and it made me feel really dumb. And, you know, just for context, I think my life in general is pretty great. You know, I, I no longer work from home. I built a business that is so self-sufficient that I finally was able to afford an office. I run a piece of my own Jewish community and I love to host. So it's a huge piece of happiness and fulfillment when I can actually organize an event and get a bunch of Jews in my community together for a Moisha House event because we're the Moisha House in Venice. And I'm a part of other Jewish communities as well. I do my Jewish learning on a regular basis through this podcast. I'm close to my parents who are alive, healthy, and well. And they live in a really amazing place that when I go and visit them, it feels like I'm on a retreat and they have two dogs. My life's amazing. And there's a, there's a part of me that there's a big part of me that wants to share that with someone special. I want, my goal this year is to find love. And I wrote that down. I actually, at the end of last year in December, had a very nineties music video moment where I biked to the beach with my my hair blowing in the wind. And I wrote in my journal at the sunset, you know, very, very nineties music video moment. And one of the. I decided to first write my, my goals as brachas instead. I wrote them as uh, blessings. Mm-hmm. I had never done it that way before, but it, something about it felt very right to me. So I wrote it as, as brachot. And then what proceeded fo- to follow was one of the brachot, or at least a few of them, acknowledged the desire for love, the desire to connect with another human, to find that special someone, to hopefully find my life partner. And there's been this will they, won't they situation with one particular girl in my life. And there's been, for whatever reason, nothing casual per se, but these on and off moments where it feels like something's about to happen and then nothing happens at all. And it's gotten very confusing. And last night I thought something exciting was going to happen. And after... I think tempting the evil, what, the evil inclination. Is that what we, is that how we described it? Uh, yeah, that's the translation of Yitzhahara. Yeah. Well, that 
I fed into the Yitzhahara and I invited her over and I had canceled all my evening plans for this. And then she never showed up. And she even sent a picture of her wrapped up in her blanket watching TV for the night. And I was upset. And it ruined her. It, 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 it has kind of put a damper on the friendship. It, it, I, I'm going to distance myself now because that is going to tempt an evil inclination. It just, it's not good for me. It's not good for her. I need to distance myself. Lesson learned. But it kept me up all night. I don't know if you can even see it, but there are bags under my eyes right now. You know, I, I totally failed. I completely failed. Failure is real. That's all. I guess I just have yeah. to say that. Thank you so much for opening up. And it's hard. And we all fail. Many at different times, at different stages. Some big, some small. And, and it's really hard to be open about it. And it's something that hurts. And the biggest challenge that we all face is how we rebound from failure. And if we're able to, it's okay to be hurt, by the way, it doesn't mean that we can't be hurt. It doesn't mean that we have to rebound an hour later or the next day per se, but real people, like people who are really, really successful. I'm even talking, let's say like the billionaires of the world, they are people who have really failed in life. Those are people who have, I mean, people who have literally gotten fired from their own companies. I'm saying like, like Steve Jobs, who was fired from his own company at one point in time. And, and for all of us, just, just to recognize the fact that if we have, we have to have the grit inside of us and the determination to recognize and to think about how much does that goal matter to me? Because if the goal matters a lot, and if it's something that's real, then we should do whatever we can to achieve it. And that's where I think most of the time, whenever it comes to setting goals and, and failure, it's because it's not, it's not something we really want. We say we want it. Say, I, I want to lose 20 pounds. But if you really, really wanted it, you would do it. There'd be nothing stopping you. Think about like, I'll skip, give an analogy. Like imagine if someone goes to a doctor and the doctor told, told you, if you don't stop eating this type of food, you're going to die by the age of 37. Imagine if the doctor told you that we would all stop eating that food. It doesn't matter. But if we don't have a certain, sometimes if we don't have that type of real motivation, then, you know. We say we want it, but we don't really, we don't really. And that, that when push comes to shove, I have one of the things I happen to play violin. I'm not a great violinist or anything like that. And here and there, people ask me about playing violin, about that they say they want to start themselves, either playing violin or playing guitar. And I give them the following advice. I tell them, I want you, if you really want to do it, practice for 15 minutes a day. And in their head and in your head right now, I was like, that's it. I could do that. Cause most people think I need to practice an hour a day, two hours a day. The reality is the average person won't even practice the 15 minutes a day. But if you set a realistic attainable goal, then you are more likely to achieve it. 
when people set goals that are too, too high in the clouds, too unrealistic, then that's where it becomes much more challenging to accomplish. Some of the, the greatest rabbis, when it comes to, let's say certain resolutions that they've made, their stories where I feel like it was someone named Roshach, if I'm not mistaken, where someone asked him what was his like resolution. And he said, my resolution this year is to, when I have to bench after he has bread, I want to look at the word inside. I don't want to say it by heart. Mm-hmm. Just to be able to focus better. So that's your goal. Yeah. Like that's a good attainable goal. This is for someone who knows more Torah than we could ever imagine, has greater Mido, greater character traits than we could ever imagine. And it's a real specific attainable goal. It's okay to have a big goal. It's okay to say, you know, I want to lose 50 pounds. It's okay to do that. But at least in that situation, you have to make sure to have realistic steps of how to attain it. And it has to be really something that, that you're motivated and you're willing to work for. Because if you're not willing to put in the time, put in the effort, then it's not going to happen. It makes sense. It, you know, something that you brought up at the beginning of what you were just saying was the idea of, you know, rebounding from a failure or even, I, I, I think, I, I believe that's what you said. I, I, so forth. I was going to ask you in the Torah, what's an, what's an, what's a shining example of a moment where the Jewish people rebounded from a failure? Good question. There certainly are a lot of failures in the Torah. We like to think of the Jewish people right now. We're, we're reading this week, next week about the Jewish people getting out of Egypt. And they're actually known as the Dordea, which means the generational knowledge in terms of a, a certain intimate knowledge of God, because they were there. They're the ones at Mount Sinai when God gave them the Torah. But even though that was the case, they fell time and time again in different ways. And it wasn't every Jew. We have the sin of the golden calf. We have the sin of the spies. And there were countless other smaller, smaller sins. But one, one actually very powerful lesson was that after, this is not answer your question, but it is a powerful lesson that after the sin of the spies, and so God told Moses to tell the people, like, you guys aren't going into Israel. Just to share the story very briefly for those that don't know it, basically they sent out a, a small group of people to spy out the land of Israel just to, to make sure that everything looks good before they enter it. And they came back with a, a, neg- a negative report. There were two spies, Yoshua and Caleb. Yoshua, who actually was the leader of the Jewish people after Moses died. That's Joshua. That's his Hebrew name, Yoshua. And the rest of the spies gave back a terrible report. And the Jewish people all complained. They all cried. The Talmud actually tells us that the day they cried was actually Tisha B'Av. It was the ninth of Av. And the reason that was the day that was designated for the, both temples to be destroyed and the Talmud says, because since you cried for no reason, God said, I'm going to give you a reason to cry because you cried for no reason. Cause I was going to take care of you. You were going to go to Israel. You were scared of the giants there. I was going to defeat them for you. You cry for no reason. I'll give you a reason to cry. But what's what happens right after that in the Torah, after God tells them that you guys aren't going into Israel, the Jewish people come back and they say, we want to go. We're, we're sorry. We want to go. And they actually literally start going. And Moses says, God's not with you. 
Like I'm not taking, normally you take the ark, you take the arm with the people when they go out to war. Moses is like, it's not coming with you. God said, no. And they said, we want to go. And it, it seems like a positive thing. And they go and they actually get killed. Not all of them, but I'm saying not all the Jews go, but a, a, a certain, all of them regretted it. And it's, it's a lesson that sometimes it's just too late. Like you had your chance. And so there, there certainly in life, we certainly believe in, in the idea of opportunity and there are countless opportunities we have. Uh, but just to give like an analogy from someone named the who, who died in 1933, one of the biggest rabbis of the 20th century. Yeah. So he says, it's a pretty uh, depressing thing, but it's something sometimes depressing ideas could be empowering. Where he says, imagine a person, if you think about your life goals on a postcard and you're writing out the postcard, you're just writing it out and you're writing like, think about if you, the last time you wrote a postcard, it may have been 45 years ago, but uh, think about the last time I wrote one, but you're writing like big fonts, like going across nice spaces between the lines. And then you realize there's more and more to write and you're getting towards the bottom. You start writing in smaller fonts and, and then all of a sudden you get to the end and like, you have to do an asterisk and write on the other side, like. You, you messed it up. You messed up your rhythm. And he says, that's the way life is. You think you have so much time. Oh, I'll, I'll accomplish this. And like, you're going away, you're doing some stuff. And then you get towards the end of your life and you're trying to fit everything in. So don't, don't squander the opportunities when you're young, when you're vibrant, however old you are, even if you're 40, 50, 60, listen, as we still have plenty of time, but don't squander the opportunities to make a change, to make it real, because we all have, have the chance now. And so Moses was telling them, like, you, you blew, you blew it. You missed your shot. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, thank you. That's, I think, a, a wonderful example. I think I really appreciate that. And something you highlighted that I've actually, unfortunately, heard from the toxic trolls on the internet, which I'm sure you're very aware of. Does that, do all the, the mistakes and the failures that we have made in our timeline of the Torah delegitimize our place as the chosen people? So they, it's a good question. They don't, certainly we're not, our chosenness has not been taken away. There are a few things. Firstly, we're told, meaning we are not angels. We're not expected to be angels. And God certainly knows that we mess up. And that's why God embedded literally before the world was created, the Mishnah tells us that the concept of teshuva, repentance, was created. That the world couldn't last without the notion of repentance, of forgiveness. So we know that no one's perfect. At the same time, even though we messed up and we had sins like the sin of the golden calf and the sin of the spies and things like that, it doesn't necessarily tarnish who we were and are as a people. If anything, being able to bounce back makes us stronger. So we, so like, if you have some, I think, think about the following. Most businesses, even large, large businesses, they don't last. Take like Sears, for example. Okay. Sears is closing down. They went bankrupt, I believe. Okay. Now Sears, I have no idea. I didn't plan on talking about this, but I'm sure we could Google this or whatever. Let's assume Sears is, has been around for about 80 years, a hundred years. And at some point it started from one store. Maybe the guy's last name was Sears, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden 
He started becoming successful. Let me open another store and another store, then commercializing all over the country. And now all of a sudden, his empire has crumbled. Would that person, probably not even alive, would his, whoever's, would they say that was a failure? Or would they say that was a tremendous success? Do you know how much money he made and how many stores and how many jobs he got for people? Do you know how successful he was? Look what he accomplished. So just because like the temple was destroyed because the Jewish people sinned, that doesn't mean that the whole process was, was a failure. Wow, we were, we were all terrible. Look what we messed up. There's always going to be low times and there are always going to be high times. And it happens to be that the Talmud tells us something fascinating, that, that Titus actually made fun of the Jewish people for this. It was actually a positive thing about for us because inside the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, on top of the ark are what's known as the Kruvim, which are angels, basically two angels. And they are made out of pure gold, solid gold with wings hovering above them. And they have childlike faces on them. And there was something that was supernatural about them, that when the Jewish people were serving God, they were facing each other. And when the Jewish people were not doing God's will, they were opposed and facing away from each other. And the Talmud tells us that when Titus came into the temple, when he was destroying it, and this is the reason it was destroyed was because God enabled it to be destroyed because the Jewish people were sitting. So you would expect it to be where they'd be facing the opposite way. And the Talmud tells us that they were actually intertwined. They were together, the Kruvim. These angels were intertwined. And one of the lessons that's brought out of it is that it's to teach us that as much as we're going into exile right now as the Jewish people for sinning, God is coming with us. Hmm. God's still with us. And of course, as much as we, there have been failures at times as a nation, we certainly have, have prospered. And like we've been discussing now, we certainly are able to bounce, bounce and, and get right back up. And something that's just, just so important to realize. Wow. I think that that is a strong statement to end the podcast on. It's a, the idea that we are spread thin across the world being a light unto nations, but that God is still with us in this exile is something that I think should really resonate and set with everybody who is listening on this podcast. I want to thank you, David, for taking the time to be on this podcast. For those who are listening, what's the best way for them to follow you, connect with you, reach out to you? How can people connect? So thanks so much. So you could follow me at Rabbi David Schlossberg on both Instagram and or TikTok. I respond to every DM, every message. I'm really happy to help. So feel free to message me if you ever need. Awesome. Rabbi David, thank you so, so much for being on this podcast. And to the listeners, please subscribe. Go check out our merch store, badjewpod.co. Also, be sure to go to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify, wherever you can leave a review. Please leave a review. And we'll see you next week for another exciting episode of Bad Jew. Shalom. Sure.